a video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in another Veritas 2020 video. I want to thank all of you who've diligently been watching this Veritas 2020 series of videos, quite a few of them now. If you've been paying close attention and concentrating on the content, if you really have been trying, you're definitely making a lot of progress towards becoming a better equipped follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, this is valuable information. So internalize as much of it as you can. I really do believe, guys, that we're living in a time and in a place in the history of the church when the things that we've been talking about in these Veritas presentations are going to have to be a necessary part of Christian evangelism. I don't think we can ignore this. It's going to be, have to be a, a, an important part of Christian education and training and discipleship, you know, making disciples, followers of Christ. Way too many Christians, especially our younger people, but really across the board, I mean, Christians of all ages, it's, it's sad to me how unequipped so many Christians are to obey 1 Peter 3.15. And as a result, far, far too many of our young adults are just walking away from the church, leaving it behind. It's kind of as if the church to them was an interesting part of their childhood, and maybe it was helpful to them in childhood, but now it's, they just think it's no longer relevant. And we need to be praying and doing everything we can to make ourselves available to the Lord as useful tools in His hands to help stop that hemorrhage of young adults leaving the church. And i tell you what's really sad. There are some thoughtful kids and young adults who are beginning to have some serious, very real questions about Christianity, questions about the Bible, questions about God, questions that they can't answer. <laughs> and they're either afraid to ask the questions because of past experience when they try to ask questions or because they want to, don't look foolish or don't want to look rebellious or whatever. Or sometimes they'll actually get up the courage to ask the question. And then unfortunately they can be told by, I guess, well-meaning adults, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait, don't ask questions like that. <laughs> you just got to believe. You just need to put those questions out of your mind. Don't even think about things like that. Don't ask questions like that. Just tell Satan to get away from you. <laughs> well, I know, you know, I believe in spiritual warfare. There's a place for that. And, and there's a place for simply believing what God has said. But listen, God's designed us to be curious and to ask questions. And he uses those questions to motivate us to learn more about him, learn more about his word, more about the truth. You remember when Paul and his little mission team started telling the people who lived in the city in Macedonia called Berea, they started telling them about Jesus. You remember this? They, they had some questions. So what did they do? Well, they started digging. They, they looked into the prophecies of the Old Testament. Every day, the Bible says, they were determined to get answers to their questions. And Luke wrote that as they did that, they were doing something that he called noble. God inspired Luke to write that. He wanted them to dig and find answers to the questions. Paul reminded the Colossians that they could expect people to have questions about their faith in Christ. And he wrote this to them. He said, let your speech, the words that come out of your mouth, always be gracious, seasoned with salt, listen, 
so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We need to learn how to answer questions. Paul wrote this to Timothy. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The point is we need to be able to help people think these things through, find answers to the tough questions they have. And of course, we all know by now, Peter wrote our theme verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to do what? To make a defense. Some translations say to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So he tells us how to do that, but he says you need to be ready to answer these questions. Have you ever thought about how much of Jesus' own earthly ministry was spent dealing with questions that people ask him? Some of the people who asked Jesus questions were very sincere. They, they just wanted answers, but some were hostile. I mean, the goal of some questioners was honest. They just wanted an answer. But the goal of some questioners, as we know, was to trap Jesus. But Jesus was constantly fielding questions from all kinds of people. Here's just a few examples just to prompt your memory. You'll remember these and, and more when you start thinking about it. Here's one. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Master, don't you care that we're about to drown? <laughs> How can a man be born again when he's old? Well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> Which is the greatest commandment? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? What must I do to inherit eternal life? The law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? Are you the king of the Jews? Where can I get this living water? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? What is truth? By what authority are you doing these things? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> and it goes on and on and on and on and on. Many, many more questions that are recorded in the gospel. And that doesn't even include the ones that weren't recorded. I'm sure there were many, many more questions that weren't recorded. But that was a big part of Jesus' ministry. He was answering people's questions. So if he spent a lot of time answering questions, and we're supposed to be like him, we're following Jesus, we probably should expect that we as his followers will be doing the same thing. <laughs> we'll be answering questions. And Jesus didn't just shush people up and say, don't be asking questions like that. <laughs> he didn't say, just don't ask questions. Don't think about it. Just believe. He didn't say that. He answered the questions. Sometimes he answered them directly. Sometimes he would ask them a question back designed to make them think about what they were asking. We need to learn from him. <laughs> So listen, guys, if you're going to be a Christ follower, you're going to be asked some questions and we need to be ready to give an answer. Not only that, the truth is, if we're honest, we're going to have some questions of our own, right? 
I would encourage you when you have questions of your own, write them down so you won't forget them. Talk to one of your mentors or one of your close Christian friends about them. Talk to God about them. Pray about them. God has answers to those questions. And many, many times God will use the tough questions that come to your mind to help you grow stronger in Christ. Whether they're your own questions or the questions other people ask you, he'll use those. So please, please don't just say, oh, I shouldn't be thinking that. I shouldn't be asking that. Don't listen to well-intentioned people who try to tell you, don't think about things like that. (laughs) God wants you to think. God wants you to love him with all your mind, not just with all your heart, obviously with all your heart, but not just with all your heart, not just with all your soul, all your mind. Yeah. And so those questions will help you get answers that will help you love God with all your mind. He loves it when we struggle with those kind of questions. Now, I want us to turn our attention for a few minutes here to one of Satan's favorite tricks that he likes to use to lure young people away from our Lord and away from God's Word. He's very crafty, and it's a trick that he's devised to make it pretty easy for young people to begin to doubt God's Word. Sometimes we call it the moral trap. So I want to explain to you how it works. But before I do that, let me point out that it's very common for high school students, especially, who've been raised in the church, to be a little bit overconfident about their commitment to Christ. Many, many high school students who've been raised in the church simply cannot imagine there would ever be a time when they would even begin to listen to someone who tried to convince them that there was no God. Or if they'd been raised in church and they'd been taught from their earliest days that the Bible really is God's Word, they just can't imagine listening to anybody who might try to convince them that the Bible is not God's Word. You know, they're just not going to listen. And, but that's the problem because that's why some of them don't take these kind of things that we're talking about here in this Veritas series, they don't take it very seriously. They don't think they need it. If we talk with them about the value of watching these Veritas videos, they may think, oh, come on. I know God's real. <laughs> I know the Bible is His Word. I don't need all that stuff. I'm good to go. (laughs) Unfortunately, many of these same kids are underestimating how strong and how subtle and how crafty Satan's attacks can be later on. Because Satan's going to do his best to lead our young people into doubt and unbelief. He works on all of us that way. (laughs) But especially young people. Several years ago now, there was a Christian movie that came out entitled God's Not Dead. Have you seen it? I bet some of you have seen it. I saw it. I enjoyed it. But there was an atheistic professor in that movie who was obnoxiously anti-Christian. You remember that character? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, not all secularists or non-Christian professors are obnoxious. Sometimes they're very, very sweet. And frankly, the most dangerous professors are really sweet people. They may offer reasons to kids why they reject Christianity that sometimes our young people have never been exposed to. They've never heard this kind of stuff before. And these professors seem to be kind and sweet and reasonable. And they seem to be so intelligent, so much more intelligent than my parents, right? (laughs) But these guys are often rejecting the truth. And even though they're sweet and gracious and intelligent, they're very dangerous. God warns us in his word 
that the devil himself is able to masquerade as an angel of light. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And then another factor that many young people don't take into consideration in their thinking about these things is the fact that even if it does turn out to be true, that they themselves are not personally going to be influenced by these questions or by these skeptics now or even in the future. They're, they're, it's not going to bother them. The truth is they're going to have friends who are going to be greatly bothered. And we need to get equipped, not just for our own sake, but to help friends who may be struggling with these kind of questions later on. So all of us need to be equipped. We never know what's going to happen in the future. We need to be ready. But unfortunately, even for Christian high school students who are very, very confident, very confident in their relationship to the Lord, it's amazing what can happen in just a few short years, sometimes even a few months or even weeks. Things can turn around. The enemy is crafty. He is subtle. He's clever. And so he's devised what we sometimes call this moral trap. And many, many young people fall into this trap and it often leads them to embrace skepticism or secularism, humanism, atheism, to move away from their Christian roots. This is the way it works. Almost everybody, young and old, just about all of us, we have groups of people that we're part of and we desperately want to fit into our group. Group of people around us in our lives. They're our friends, maybe our family members, people we hang out with. And we obviously want those friends to like us. We want them to accept us. It's important to us. And we feel like we desperately need those friends as part of our lives. And some of us feel that more strongly than others, but we all have that. We want to fit in with the group. However, unfortunately, something very sad often happens some of the people in our group begin to make bad decisions. They start doing some things that God says are wrong, sinful. And these, these guys may have been raised in the church too, but now they're making decisions that really have some bad long-range consequences. And they begin doing things and they begin making decisions that someday they will sorely regret. That's always true when we choose sin. But at the moment, apparently, seems to be working for them. Sin is usually that way, you know. Think, think about this now. The wages of sin will always be horrible. The Bible says very clearly the wages of sin is death. But often it's long range. That's one of the very important differences in violating God's moral law and violating his physical law. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know this is common sense, but if you step off a ledge or a roof or you step off a cliff, <laughs> you know what's going to happen immediately. You don't have to wait years to see the result of ignoring the law of gravity, right? <laughs> of course not. If you touch the eye of a hot stove, you know what's going to happen immediately. <laughs> you don't have to wait years to experience the consequences of the laws of thermodynamics. But if you commit sin, it may be different. While it's true that sometimes the effects of sin do come down on us very quickly. Sometimes it may be a long, long time before we start noticing and experiencing the consequences. That's why God warns us of the consequences of sin in his word. He doesn't have to warn us of the consequences of stepping off a cliff, but he does have to warn us of the consequences of sin. See what I'm saying? 
he knows we'll figure it out, gravity, pretty quickly. But he does warn us of the danger of immorality, for example. Consequences of stepping off that cliff are immediate. Consequences of immorality, sometimes that's longer range. And so it's common for kids and adults to see other kids involved in immorality, maybe of some kind, or maybe alcohol abuse or drug abuse or pride or arrogance or greed or just a lifestyle that's in general very selfish and unbiblical and non-Christian. And as we watch them, it just seems like everything's okay. There's no bad consequences they can see, at least not at the moment. Now, we know from the Bible, those consequences will certainly come. Remember Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's a biblical principle. The consequences of sin do come. It's just that those consequences often come later, maybe even years down the road. But at the moment, it may not be that obvious. And so what happens is many young people begin to think, well, maybe this is not really such a big deal. Maybe this is just part of growing up. You know, we all go through this stuff. We get involved in these things. We all want to have a little bit of fun. My friends seem to be having fun. Maybe these things really aren't that bad after all. I mean, don't all of us have to sow our wild oats while we're young? Isn't that part of growing up? And as soon as we decide that these things may not be that big a deal, because everybody's doing it, and people really do seem to be getting by, and it doesn't seem to be affecting them that much, because, again, it's hard for young adults to think long range. We've got to be able to think long range, guys. Can't just think about today and tomorrow. We've got to think down the road. But now the moral trap's set. You see, if we get to that kind of thinking, if we find ourselves enjoying sin, enjoying our new way of living, doing things that we once thought maybe were sin and would have, we would have called it sin, and, and we, would, we would certainly earlier in our lives said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. That's for sure. But now if it seems like fun and if it seems like the consequences aren't coming, seems like they're no big deal, it may not be long until we decide, you know what? Maybe I really can't trust the Bible after all. Maybe the Bible really is full of just a bunch of harsh rules that really aren't fair, especially for young people. Maybe it's not reasonable. Maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe it really was written for a bunch of ancient desert nomads and, and, and it doesn't really apply to me in the 21st century. And then it isn't hard at all to look around and discover that there are other worldviews out there like secular humanism. They'll tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> I like what I hear from them. They'll tell me it's okay for me to do whatever I want to do. God may say it's sin, but no, nah, they say, no, it's not really. You don't have to feel guilty about that. So regardless of what the Bible says, there are worldviews that say it's all right to indulge in my temptations to sexual sin. There are worldviews that allow us to say, hey, this is just who I am. This is just the way I'm built. I'm not guilty of anything. Before, we would realize God says it's wrong. I need to go to God and ask him to forgive me. I need to go to God and ask him for grace to resist the temptation. And now we've got a worldview that says, oh, no, you don't. Just enjoy the sin. This is the way you are. This is the way you live. It's okay. As soon as we start rationalizing those sins, it's a very small step to start doubting the Bible. Maybe it's not true. 
leaves us wide open to the many, many lies Satan has put together to move us away from God, move us away from his word, move us into some ungodly and disastrous worldview. So guys, we have to be spiritually prepared to watch out for that moral trap. Satan will lay that trap for you. And if we have our eyes open and if we see it coming, we may be a lot less likely to go down that very foolish and disastrous road. If we're not spiritually prepared, a worldview that lets us indulge in immorality and the same time tells us we don't need to feel guilty, a worldview that tells us everybody's doing it, that it's no big deal, that we just need to go with the flow, well, that can sound very attractive and intoxicating to a young adult, but it leads to disastrous outcomes. So kids, you've been warned. The moral trap is very real. Keep your spiritual eyes open. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not on your friends. If you keep your focus on Jesus, promise you won't regret that. And you can stay in the battle that way, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for teaching us truth in your word. Thank you for reminding us in your word that we do reap what we sow. Thank you for reminding us that we have an enemy, Satan. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that, uh, that he's crafty and he's subtle and sometimes he masquerades like an angel of light and he is so deceptive. And Lord, thank you for reminding us that he sets traps for us. And I pray for people watching this video that, that they will recognize that there are moral traps out there that will lead them to doubt you to reject your word, to walk away from you, and to indulge themselves only to result in long-range disaster. So please help people watching this video right now to be determined to keep their focus on you, on your truth, on your word, and to stay in the battle. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.